Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology, where we hear the tips, strategies, and lessons learned from top industry leaders. My name is Felipe Flores. I am your host. Thank you so much for being here today. If you've ever thought about becoming a data science freelancer or going out on your own with a vision of having more flexibility and more freedom in your job, or in your work and in your days, so you can spend the time that you want where you want to spend it, then this is the episode for you. Today, we're speaking with Nick Ryan, an absolute top bloke. He has a long career in the data analytics and data science space. He started as an actuary. He worked as an actuary, as an analyst, as a data scientist, eventually became a head of data and credit at a lending company. And from there, he tells us his journey. He packed up all his things, moved with his family to Bundaberg, where he has been living for a number of years, working from there, working from home, spending time with his family, going for surfing, going surfing in the mornings. This guy is living the dream. He is very candid about the realities and challenges of this type of setup. And I know that a lot of people, including myself, can see that setup with uh, rose-tinted glasses. So it's great to hear it straight from the man himself. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I had a blast speaking with Nick. Let me know what you think. Hi, this is Felipe. Today I'm speaking with Mr. Nick Ryan. Thank you so much, mate. Oh. An absolute pleasure. Thanks oh, for coming down. Thanks for having me on, Felipe. It's uh, yeah, a pleasure to be here. I really, really appreciate the, uh, the invite. <laughs> mate, no, I am so, so excited. Tell me, how did you get started in the world of data? Like, how did you get introduced and that beginning phase? It starts with failure, like most good stories do. Um, so I had dreams, like if you asked me as a kid, like what I wanted to be when I was growing up, it was just, I was going to make it to the NBA, right? I was yeah. going to go big time. And I actually stopped growing when I was about 13. So I've been this height since I was about Shit. 13. Yeah. So it's like six foot two from about 13. And all of the coaches are like, man, that kid's going to be a monster. Let's, yeah. let's train him up to be a center. He's going to be like the next Shaq. It's going to be amazing. And then I just stopped growing. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're like, come on, come on. <laughs> and so I've got like two moves, a hook shot and then a counter and that's it. Like that's all that's my time going around. And so it's pretty bad. But they're solid moves. Man. They're solid moves. Right? Yeah, I've been working on that stuff for 30 years, you know. Like it's, it's all good. <laughs> so perfected it two moves so yeah i didn't have talent and so I, I wasn't um anywhere near tall enough to play the positions i wanted and so consequently i didn't i, I played nationals and stuff so i played at the high level when i was, when I was younger but i never nice. like kicked on to the next level because yep. everyone at that level is like the best in their district like of all time and then if you're okay then you're just not going to make it and so it was my careers uh counselor guy who, who just started putting in well maybe if you don't like <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> backup plan <laughs> backup plan then backup it's like oh you, you you're okay at maths. I see you're pretty good at, good at maths. You're doing, you're doing well in that. So why don't you try this actuarial studies thing? And I'm like, what? Like, what's that? And so I told my mum, I'm like, oh, I'm, I've got actuarial studies as a, as a backup. And she's like, you got to look after birds. Like, <laughs> no clue about what it was. Right? So, and so then I ended up, um, yeah, I, I did okay at school and I got um, a scholarship to do actuarial studies at the University of New South Wales, which is good. So that's maths and statistics and, and stuff like that. So I had a pretty good grounding in statistics and data, but not really in programming. And not really in computer science. So I came out and um, of that and took a year off to go surfing and then thought, oh, I should go nice. get a job. Met my wife on that year. So that ends up working out pretty well. Very um, good. Yeah. So Where did you go in that year? So I went um, from Bells Beach all the way up to like Bundaberg because my wife's family are from. Uh -huh. Makes sense. Yeah. So um, yeah, and a lot of 
surfing and I would just work for as much as I could I could or as little and, as you could or, well, yeah. and save save some money oh, and yep. just go and then just go somewhere and so it was really awesome so I was pretty chilled pretty relaxed dude awesome but then I uh, met my wife and thought oh, I probably need some money yeah so she was definitely a keeper and so um, that's when I started working as like an actuary and insurance and life insurance initially and then general insurance was this back in Sydney? Uh, yeah back in Sydney yeah, that's right. right and so like I kind of fell into it and so at, at the time everyone was using like spreadsheets for like everything and so you'd open up a big spreadsheet there'd be complex formula all over the place and it would take like 10 minutes to load and you're just there growing a beard <laughs> and I'm like man there probably has to be a better way like you probably have something similar right where you're thinking like man spreadsheets there's got to be something smarter we could yeah. be doing <laughs> And so then I started falling into code and I was doing some, like some, it was originally SAS in the yeah. day that we were doing. And we we're doing some pricing models and GLMs and basic stuff in SAS and I just fell in love with it. Nice. And so even before data science was a thing, yeah. I, I knew that code and stats was kind of my thing. And so I would grab textbooks like the, that Hello textbook, that big red one, generalized linear models and stuff and other ones. And I'd go through and I, I saw R code and then I started diving into that and I started just doing it because it was fun. You know, I really, yeah. I really just enjoyed it and I found my thing. Actually, I was this wasn't my thing, but this was. I didn't even know what it was, but yeah. I just kept doing it. And I was still doing my actual exams at the time. And um, so, but then we were expecting our first order, who was a surprise, not an accident. And so, like, I was doing my exams and I was learning the stuff, actual exams. I got to the last part. And then I heard about this thing, like, data science. And I, and I thought, this is cool. And this is in the early days of Coursera and stuff. And yeah. some of the MOOCs were around. And I started, um, we lived about 100 kilometers out from Sydney because it was a lot cheaper. Yeah. And so I had this really long train ride, like two and a half hours each way and commuting. And I just started doing How many days would you commute? Five days. Yeah. So it was like five hours yeah. a day kind of thing. So it was Wow. It was pretty intense. But I used that time just to self study. And so like it was like a master's degree in computer science and data science on the train for a few years. And yeah. so I just fell in love with it. And I'd do it on the weekends and I'd do it like all the time. I just, I just loved it. And so even if I wasn't getting paid, I'd still be doing this stuff. And when you like I'm very lucky to have caught it and you know, within a few months I, I had a new sort of job and within a few years I was, you know, like mentoring other people and then a few years after that leading teams and then a few years after that head of data science and a few years after that my own company so it's just kind of rolled from there it fell into it what about you what was, what was oh man that's awesome that's fantastic <laughs> that's fantastic no, that's about you what your uh, yeah your journey I, I'm, I'm asking the questions as well <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> this is yours you can do whatever you want <laughs> i came to australia when i was about 20 19 20 didn't speak a word of English. Well, was up in Brisbane. Oh, nice. Got a job as a door knocker because it was commission only. I was well, selling Optus home phone and internet. Jeez. I got people to write me the script of yeah. what they said, like native English speakers. So I would like knock on the door and put the script and start <laughs> oh, reading. Man. And when they wow. couldn't understand me, I was like, this is what I'm trying to say. Jeez. <laughs> oh, and as part of the job, we, we traveled around Queensland. So like went to Bundaberg, went to Harry Bay, went like up to Cairns. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like, and I've been here, I don't know, three months at the time and, you know, trying to learn English, but didn't have money for a course. Mm -hmm. And anyway, so, and then ended up um, learning more, starting to work in IT, like building databases for small companies. And I had like a couple of clients that a day a week here, two days a week here. Yeah. And it was always like our database is screwed. 
I would build a database, do some recording, and then start doing some analysis on how they can improve sales or open new branches and things like that. Fantastic. Then I, as part of my studies, I did my thesis on machine learning, and yeah. it was using machine learning to predict tiredness in truck drivers in the mines as oh, they drove. Right. And it was part of a small research project where there was this genius electrical engineer made these sensors on that could sit on the forehead and do brainwave activity, yep. would give it to me. And we got all this labeled data from sleep sleep experts around the world, Jeez. like thousands of hours of labeled data, both video and uh, EEG. And that's when I discovered machine learning, loved it. I remember writing like 7,000 lines of code for a neural <laughs> network that today is like three lines <laughs> and like a thousand times more powerful. It's like Keras. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm done here. So yeah, yeah. Off the <laughs> yeah, man. One hidden layer. And then I worked in consulting for about seven years. And then I started my own consulting company for mm. five. Grew up to about 50 people Wow. with a colleague. I sold my part, got out, took some time off. And then went into ANZ, one of the main divisions, institutional, which is B2B. Yep. Was uh, head of data science there, started the team. Uh, when I left, it was about 50 people. I think now it's like 100 people. Yes. And then went traveling for the honeymoon, started the podcast, and then came back about October last year, September, October 2018. We got back and then started as a GM of data science here at Liberty Financial. That's incredible. Building a team. And uh, so, yeah, seeing, seeing what we can do, continuing yeah. with the podcast. Yeah, no, it shouldn't be. I, we should just stop this interview right now. We should talk no, about no, this. No, 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 this is where it's at. No, I'm, so keen, I'm so keen to learn how you did it. Well, how, how did you manage to get 50 people like uh, working with? That's unbelievable. That's so, so when we started, well, when we started the business in the first year, we nearly went bankrupt like four times. Right. We had no clue what we were doing. We had in our mind this amazing analytics product that we were going to quit our jobs and build. And we literally coded for six months seven days straight, not talking to anyone. So obviously, you know what's coming. We went and did the big reveal to our prospects and everyone's like, what's that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the care factors. And, <laughs> and we're like, no, 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 you're supposed to be lining up around yeah. the corner <laughs> waiting to give us money. <laughs> this is not the reaction. Oh, man, that sucks. So that was hard lessons, yeah. hard lessons. It was before Lean Startup came out and we were just like, we had an investor earlier on that he had built a company of 200 consultants and then sold, but he started from the ground up and he invested in us and was obviously part of our board and an advisor. And all of his lessons and approaches were at the level that he exited his company at. So for example, we were starting, right? It was literally the two co-founders, myself and my business partner, this investor, and we paid like 30 grand for market research. We paid <laughs> like 20 grand for branding. Yeah, that's sort of a watch every dollar type thing. Yeah, well. When yeah. like you could go on 99 designs. Yeah, okay. Or yeah. upward or Canva, do it yourself. Like so anyway, all all the mistakes and and so like part of the what ended up becoming the podcast is like how do we get the mistakes and the lessons from leaders today out to more people that are coming up so then they can avoid those yeah. mistakes and they can learn from all our scrubs. Or they can make a totally different set of mistakes. And Which then they're not going to hear about. Yeah, no, so yeah. good. So tell me, when you were working as an actuary, were you in-house? Were you in consulting? How, how did it work? Uh, I was just working for um, insurance companies. So, yeah. um, I mean, it's good. It was like um, CGU and part of Insurance Australia Group and that kind of thing. So um, I never did um, actual consulting. But I get to experience a bit of consulting when I was working for um, Vita. And all the 
credit yeah. bureaus in Australia have changed their name. I can't keep track yeah, of them. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. They all change the name about the same time. And I don't know what this is. Like, <laughs> which way did it go? That's <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, I was out there and some of the stuff that we did was kind of building credit risk scorecards for different clients around there. And there were big ones and small ones and even some stuff with like ANZ and policy rule analysis and any of that sort of um, credit risk sort of analysis in different places. And so it was good to work with companies of different sizes. Yes. So some of them, you, they'd be like really big companies mm. um, like ANZ and some of them would be really small where the person that would be in charge of like the risk models would be the same person that was like doing HR and doing the petty yeah. cash. <laughs> yes, that's right. It was really weird to see that whole spectrum. And so, yeah, really interesting lessons there about the way that you have the message for different clients based on their level of sophistication and understanding and everything like that and whether some clients just want the result and they don't want the details whereas other ones will have to almost fit your code and verify what you've done is okay or their butts on the line kind yeah, of thing and yeah. all the way through. So, but that was cool. That was um, And that was here in, in Melbourne as well. So oh, well, you've done here as well? Yeah, I've been in right. Melbourne for a few years. Yeah, I've bounced all over the place. Uh, Sydney, Melbourne, yeah, and Gold Coast and Central Coast, New South Wales, um, Bundaberg now of all places. Not Bundaberg um, in the town, like not Bundaberg with the crystal with the rum. <laughs> <laughs> but Bundaberg by the beach. I should edit that bit. Yeah, right. And so, when, when did you move to the tropics? Um, so it's kind of funny because like I was working for a company like on the Gold Coast in what I'm going to call short-term lending. Yes. And there's other names yeah, for that's that. That's right, yes. Um, they're, you know, it's payday is other people's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, working for a, a company there and it's the, the head of data science and um, that was um, when the whole Royal Commission into banking mm. sort of started. And so we were one of the first hit and so, uh, admittedly, there were some errors and omissions with the way that, that were in the past doing a very simple decisioning of, um, and so, you know, rightly or wrongly, they copped the bit, but we had to go from like 90% automated um, straight through processing, no applications hitting mm. that person, through to 100% manual to build a data set to then be able to do um, automated bank statements um, categorization. And then from there, building a risk model from the bank statement factors um, that we found, you know, quality of the income stream, you know, ATM expenditure, like discretionary spending. If you can capture discretionary spending in some way, that goes a long way to credit risk. And so the bank statement's a really good vehicle for that, I think. And so we did that and um, it almost killed us. It was really yeah. hard work and we had to do it in a very short time frame because the regulator was on us and at the time it was a real threat that they were going to close out and so um, the team data science team which I was leading as well as the, the dev team that my, my friend the CTO um, was leading a huge exercise weekends late nights the whole work for a long time and I was um, yes yeah, so there were two teams on the Gold Coast and a team over in uh, Ukraine in Kiev mm -hmm. that's looking after and we were able to um to do it. And so it wasn't just um, our credit risk scorecard, it wasn't just bank statement categorization, but it was also hygiene checks and throw up questions and stuff based on uh, what we discovered in the bank statement. Wow. And so everything from rent or insufficient rent through to even like benefits and stuff like that and yep. analysis of all that stuff. And so um, they good. had, yeah, like even the, the regulator would come in and they grab a hundred of our files and then they go off and then they compare our risk, risk model bit by bit. And they said, yeah, you guys are okay to use it. And so as far as I know, that was the first and I don't know if there's any more that have been ticked off by the, the regulator to allow that straight through processing yeah. of bank statements. So, so it was great because it got the, the company going again. And um, like, yeah, I, do, I, do, I honestly do think that saved um, the company. For sure. But I was fried. 
by that time. And so I hadn't seen my kids at daylight as much. Yeah, yeah. And so, and you know, even at home, I wasn't as crazy wonderful. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, all present, you know, it would be like yeah. kids doing something. It's like, oh, yeah, that's great. I'm thinking of a work problem. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't all bad because um, it was a great learning and great experience. But my wife had sort of had enough by then. And so that was the trigger for her to, we were in Bundaberg and I was just chilling out by the beach and drinking rum as you do in Bundaberg, too much rum. And um, I didn't even know what day of the week it was. Like I wasn't, it wasn't because I was drunk, which I was, but I was, <laughs> uh, I was just chilled out. I was yeah. relaxed. And she was like, yeah, you almost killed yourself there. So she found a house that she liked. She put in an offer. <laughs> and she told me about it. <laughs> she said, like, this is where you're going to live. And yeah. I went, okay, cool. And she said, look, you can go out your backyard and you can go surfing. It's great. You like surfing. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. One catch. There's no work here, right? Yeah. And she said, oh, no, you'll think of something. So, and so that's what started this business of mine. I, that's awesome. I kind of had to. Like, yeah. my kids need to eat. And we homeschool both our kids. And so um, my wife doesn't work. So it's kind yeah. of like, hey, sold breadwinner, go off and find something. And so mm -hmm. that's what started the LinkedIn and started, yeah, essentially the consulting business. And I had absolutely no clue what I was doing, but I was just trying to get enough to feed my family. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and so it's been on the whole successful. I mean, it's a lot less than I could earn in a city. Yes. But on the same thing, I don't have, I don't have a mortgage. I don't have a lot of pressures that other people have. Um, so I'm considering myself very fortunate. 100%. Be, yeah. And that's, and that's the thing, man. Like if you're happy and you're living the life that you want, then that's success. Yeah. I mean, I think what is going to happen as well as mm. the kids get older and they're going to want other things that we might end up um, shifting between places as well. So mm -hmm. we, we are like happy to, to relocate for right role and everything like that and right schooling yeah. for kids and whatever. But I think we'll probably bounce back. So we might do a year here or two years or six months or whatever and just kind of give them kind of the best of both worlds, the town and country. Type nice. Thing. Yeah. Just because, you know, you don't want them growing up like having seen a tall building. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. my wife is um, daughter of farmers and she was telling me that when they were about nine years old, they went into Sydney. They're from country New South Wales. They went into Sydney and they were in a shopping centre and saw an escalator and they were their mind was blown. <laughs> my kids freak out in this class. They do. They're like, oh, dad. <laughs> <laughs> Just walk. <laughs> Be normal. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And, and um, tell me about the decision of the homeschooling. How did that come about? Oh, so I guess as well, looking at um, well, my wife's really smart. She's just really, really smart. And, and um, also looking we'll at get her to listen to me. <laughs> That'd be good. <laughs> but looking at the different options available and it's like, it's not the right thing for everyone, but for us it is. Cause like, I guess um, with my, it took me a long time to work out what I really wanted to do with my life. Yeah. You know, I didn't think I really got there until I was like 28, 29 yeah. years old. Was a couple of years ago. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. That's good. I like that. <laughs> but um, so for them, like, you know, I think the homeschooling allows them to work out what it is that they want to do a lot faster, I think. And so we can sort of tailor the education to the kid. And so at the moment, they're really enjoying their artwork and drawing. And they're also enjoying some, some code and some stuff like that. that they, yeah. They do. And so there's some stuff, as I explained, that they have to learn. Like, yes. you know, the maths and, and mm. you know, English and stuff like that. But you can, when they find, when they discover that thing, mm. the learning just happens. Yeah. And so you're not beating them with the stick. They're going off and they're YouTubing and they're reading books and they're trying to learn how to draw these characters and stuff. And it's just really good. And then they're interested in art and they're interested in the different colors and what they mean everything like that yeah so that's the, the key thing i want them to be really happy doing what they're 
doing. But and not to say that you can't get there at school, but um, compared to some of the op- options that we have in regional Australia, like I don't think that the schools around us are going to get us there as much as letting them work out what they want to do. But then for we have this, the same discussion with them every year. Do you want to go to school? Do you want to keep doing what we're doing? Uh-huh. And for the time being, they say, yeah, let's keep doing it. Amazing. Yeah. Well, it fosters like that curiosity and independent thinking that they can find their own way. It's nice. Yeah, I think, oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say. I think with um, with education, I think that's more the way that we're we're going. I think is mm. like the, some of those uh, skills, like creativity and curiosity and stuff like that. Because if, if someone's learned something before, whether it's code or stats or data science, or whatever, you can learn it if you've got the drive and, and passion to do it. And they're the best people. Like often, uncredentialed people. Yes, passionate people. Some of the like one of my mates, um, that, that guy I was working with before the CTO, he almost doesn't hire people that have qualifications yeah. in what he's after because yeah. he's got Latin and Greek literature or something. He's one of the best developers I've ever worked with. Get out. And, and like, you know, he hires laborers that as, as developers and a guy who I don't even know if he's finished school or something. He's just like a surfer in Byron Bay, but he's yeah. like the most amazing developer I've worked with. <laughs> yeah. you know, but some of those uncredentialed people, they do it because they love it. Yeah. And so he's been walking around with I mean, computer under his arm all his life kind of thing. Like, you know, and so it's really hard to compete with those sorts of people that just have this passion for what they do. Yeah, so, yeah, because yeah. the drive is there, and it just happens. Like it doesn't. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't drain them. It energizes them. Yeah, it gets them through the crap times, which you always have when you're doing stuff. I think <laughs> <Yeah>. always, always. <laughs> and you moved to Vandenberg because your wife is from there. Or? Yeah, her family all there. And, yeah, and so also the weather. As it turns out, it's pretty much like Hawaii all year round. So it's like it's pretty so, good. So you're like, oh man, it's cold. It's 26 degrees Celsius. <laughs> so freezing over here. <laughs> oh man, that's good. And when was the move? Uh, so it happens. I'm going to say. I think it's probably about four years ago. Uh-huh. Yeah, three and a half, four years ago. Yeah, so right. Been there for a while. Great. Yeah. So I enjoy it. It's pros and cons. The pros that like I got back into basketball i started um going well i've got a home gym so i i, I go there i walk past it i feel guilt i exercise uh-huh. um, very good yeah so the surfing and everything like that and i've just got my my fitness back because I, I wasn't in good shape before and so that's good um the cons are that there's no data scientists within 500 kilometers <laughs> so, correct so um, i have to drive for five hours um, just to speak to someone <laughs> to find one <laughs> <laughs> let's talk <laughs> let's hang out and so but that's got implications as well for building a consulting business yes. five hours away from everyone so the trick is that business is still done over coffee and lunches and you still yeah. need to be in an area where there's people that want this right work, and there are none around mm. where i live so i am spending more time in brisbane okay like that and so that's either the shortest plane trip in the world 28 mm-hmm. minutes so they give you some food and then you eat as quickly as you can then the plane just heads again <laughs> or um the train trip which is like again four and a half five hours um but you can plug in your laptop you pay 10 bucks more for first class and it's like it's pretty close and so yeah if, I, if i'm paying train if someone yeah. else is paying flight there it's we like go. 250 bucks each way for the shortest flight in the world <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing yeah. and when did you sell the company so i guess i've kind of had it in the background yeah. um just when occasionally like people hit for different things and so i think even like five years ago even before I moved to Bundaberg, I did some work for a local council. I just yeah. had some survey data that they just had no idea how to yeah. do anything with it. And I just did some simple plots and they're like, oh, well, we can see where people are coming from to our events. It's amazing. We can get more funding next year. Great. And so it started off with that. And then I just kind of, I've had a whole heap of different 
things. Really, like I've had um, a client in the um, UK who is supplying AI to kind of project management, project management data. UC Berkeley, I help them to do a course uh, as well, postgraduate course. There's an AI consulting company in Brisbane that would subcontract some of their AI work to me. I had a, a yeah, mixed bag of other things. And um, even more recently, for whatever reason, there's like a um, mining company or a mining consulting company yeah. that um, they have a lot of um, Excel-based like workbooks and stuff that their consultants do, and they're trying to turn them into web apps, so data, data apps and stuff. And they're, um, they've tried with like you know, C-sharp and dog and stuff. And so they're trying to um, work out how to get these out faster. And so that's yeah, Dash and Python or mm. uh, even nice I've suggested as well in prototypes, like just um, you know, web apps in R, so R Shiny and stuff like that, as well as like Power Apps, just giving them because they've got you know, some consultants that are good with Excel but can't code, others that can code. And so being able to work out which apps fit into which different areas is something that I'm helping them with as yeah. well and avoiding C-sharp at all costs. But that is, yeah, rule number one, I think. Yeah, it's, um, yeah just, just hard and there's a lot of um, pretty, I think, minimal apps and getting them out quickly and quick prototypes yeah. and then iterating again is probably the way to go with these, uh, some of these things. And so that's kind of like two days to get some of these things out. And they can see on their phone, they're like, oh, crap. This is working on my phone. I can take pictures on my phone. It's like, yeah, so. Of course, um, it's a hit. <laughs> yeah, it's like night and day for them. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really enjoying that. And that's, um, yeah, that's one of my clients now. Um, so, yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's really good, man. I was going to say, so each, each new bit of work um, is really great learning experience. And so, like, I take it as that. And I see, I think we should all, and I certainly see myself as like a full-time learner. And yeah. the work that I do is just a byproduct of that learning. And so, like, it's... It's really good. It's almost like you're looking for an opportunity to do something, to be able to learn something, you need to be able to do it. And stuff. Really That's good. great. And through your corporate career, did you stay hands-on the tools through that time or, and then, or did you have to go back and sort of reskill once you wanted to do the consulting work? Uh, yeah, I pretty much stayed hands-on. Even when I had a, a lot of people that I was sort of managing, I did, um, like it was really, I found it better to communicate, especially with overseas teams and stuff with code and prototypes. Yes. And so that worked pretty well rather than just kind of saying, oh, this is what I want and hand-waving a lot. It seems yeah. I'm hand-waving a lot. And so, like, you know, you get guys that would take your Python script or whatever and say, oh, we think you actually meant this. And I'd say, <laughs> Dimitri. And he'd go, yeah, but we like you. It's okay. <laughs> and so it was good because they could see the logic and stuff and they could just take it and make it awesome. And so I found communicating with code and being hands-on to be really good for me. And I found as well that as I was became more senior, it got me further away from the stuff which I really liked, yeah. which is solving problems with code. And so it was actually like you fight when you're younger to get to that position. You really work hard to, to get there. And then when you're there, you go, oh, this is it. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I sort of question your self worth. And so I, yeah, I worked out as well that I like being hands on. And I think that's, that's okay. Um, it's great. Yeah. So, I mean, some people I see rush there and then really just don't like that work. It's almost like they're the best technical people, but as managers, it's a different skill set that they never quite get to. But if you can get someone that's more rounded and has that entire skill set, obviously that's what you're after. Yeah. But that's really hard to find those people, I think. Yes. That's very self-aware from your side to say, like, I got to this level. It's not really for me. I'd rather go and some people might see it as, like, go back to yeah. the tools. But yeah. I think, like, you have to do what makes you the happiest. Yeah, that's right. Ideally, a bit of both as well. I've, I've always liked um, mentoring other yeah. other people. So not really being responsible and not really having performance reviews and saying, you know, I don't really like that. I don't have a big voice. So I can't get it. Get, it doesn't work. But certainly helping other people on their journey has been something that's 
really been fun for me throughout my career. When I used to work with people. Now I've just got two dogs in the office. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't help out much. Yeah, yeah well, they're, they're the second and third best other scientists in the area. <laughs> Gold. And you started a business with your wife as well, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah what's... Tell me about that. Oh, she's very much a part of what I do. So yeah. anything that looks like work, it's going to be painful for me. I flick her way. Like Great. anything. So that is, that's how I know about Canva and stuff like that. So with design and everything, I'm like, hey, can you do the thing that makes stuff look good? Or can you, oh, I need to write something. Can you just check it? Or can you just, yeah. Or And even a lot of the social media and the, the marketing and stuff like that. And she's got Hootsuite and so she can fire it out awesome. different channels and everything. Yeah. So she takes care of a lot. Even booking me to go here and everything like that, arranging flights and everything and packing my bag before I go I'm yeah. pretty confident everything's going to be there yeah. <laughs> so yeah she's um, she's uh, really, just really on top of everything everything because I just can't do that stuff oh, man, I can't um, look after myself I'm the same, <laughs> I'm, the same. <laughs> I'm actually so useless <laughs> like <laughs> it is insane <laughs> yeah if it wasn't for my wife I'd be living under a bridge yeah, <laughs> yeah I think so I think it's, it's uh, yeah it's kind of good as well that you can admit that as well maybe even the kids know that so, so, so <laughs> like, they're like, oh, so how come you're you're so old, Dad, but you can't look after yourself? Like, <laughs> and I'm like, right, I'm going to show you guys. And so I've set like you know my cooking challenges. Okay, I'm yeah. going to do a couple, cook a few meals each week just to show those from so, scratch. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, things are not cheating. Like I would be like, I'm going to make garlic bread and just <laughs> quick, quick dash to come with the garlic bread, just check it in the oven. Well, it's, it's not that if they uh, go out like a uh, chicken katsu or something yeah. like that, then like I'll try to make that. So that they've got it at home. So it's like takeaway at home, like on a Friday night. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. fun. But then they wind me up and, and um, my daughter will say, like my youngest, she knows how to press my buttons. Yeah. And she goes, oh, it's just like chicken nuggets. I'm like, it's not. It's chicken cats are different things. She's like, I love the chicken nuggets, Dad. It's just saying to her friends, guess what? My daddy makes the best chicken nuggets. I'm like, what are you doing to me? <laughs> She's just like... She's only eight. She only just turned eight and she's just like hanging crap on me. <laughs> it's terrible. I've heard that though, that like your kids are there to keep you humble. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which is like, give you shit. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's man. Good. And you're one, you're one year old. Uh, seven months. Seven months. Seven, seven, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, let's look forward to it. A lot to look forward to, I think. Or, um, <laughs> yeah. So, at the moment, we're on teething and um, about to start crawling. So, get a couple of commando moves one or two <laughs> but yeah early days but man i didn't expect it to be so nice no it's great yeah yeah, yeah. the one thing i will say is with respect once you've lost it it's gone you can't win it back and then that's ship sailed for me <laughs> so you can't you can't once they've lost respect for you that's it and that, that's happened from a young age <laughs> <laughs> are you older one how old is she uh, so she's nine and there's about oh, yeah. 15 months between great two girls yeah and what do you reckon about having them that close mm-hmm. together oh yeah it's um i think it it worked out um, really well. I think that like they play basketball together, they do taekwondo together, they do a whole heap of stuff together, and they go surfing together. They're they're good, really good mates most of the time. So it's been a really good thing. My brother and I are less than a year apart. My okay, younger brother. So he's uh, three sixty three <coughs> days younger than me. So um, yeah, what used to happen is um, <laughs> so I'd give him twenty bucks for his birthday, and then two days later he'd give it back to me. <laughs> the presents were gold. <laughs> so he would always play up for basketball against older kids, kids my age, just because he wanted to play on the same team. So of course. I mean, pretty lazy parenting from my mum and dad just dropping us off at the same thing. <laughs> so, They're trying to develop talent, mate. <laughs> yeah. well, he was talented. He's, he still is. He still is a very good basketball player. He's constantly playing against bigger, older kids. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And so tell me with the web presence side of your company, 
What's the name of the company? Oh, uh, so Data Friends. Data it? Friends. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's more my wife. I'm pretty sure it's my wife's name. I don't know. I think she came up with it. I'd say so. And what, what are you doing uh, with that side, with that friends? So that's um, mainly just, it's kind of like helping companies on their automation AI journey. So you're sort of looking at, at where companies are going in and then trying to help them along with that process. And so it's really interesting. Like I, you kind of don't know what it's going to look like and what to expect. But some things that I've seen um, over time is there seems to be like, um, I've spoken about this um, before in other places, but this spectrum of sophistication yes. around the place, starting with the most unsophisticated companies that are using like Excel as a database and everything, finance and reports and everything is run with Excel. So they might have like six people in a finance team and they're copy pasting Excel. They might um, spend three weeks every month producing this one, like a monthly report or whatever. Yes. Excel. Yeah. Excel is good software, but um not for that. And so opaque errors, non-repeatability in the process, no version control, like all that sort of stuff. Even formula errors in there. And so the data that they come up with is wrong. And so that's the way companies rather make decisions, which is tragic. If you were to go into those companies and you try to push them all the way through to machine learning and production environments, that's just never going to fly. Yeah. And I've made that mistake before when I was doing Well, same. But like, <laughs> there's the expectation as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I've, um, especially like as a consultant, like you'd be presenting the projects that are coming up or what you're proposing to say, like, this is what we should do or starting at a new company. And you're like, we'll build a warehouse or we'll get a data clean, centralized. We'll do some analysis. And then we'll maybe if we get some time, we'll squeeze in some machine learning. And the response is always like, we just want the AI. That's right. <laughs> Make the AI happen. Great. Yeah, don't worry about any of that stuff. So, how do you deal with that with those scenarios? I, I would. The very first win I'd say is like, you know, it's taking you this many hours to produce this monthly report. The very first thing that we should do and the very first quick win is to have that report refresh every two hours. So like using Power BI or using something like that so you can take the pain out of your reporting and that's your first step. That's your first part in the journey. And so then you're suddenly like monitoring the KPIs and stuff that you really care about as a business. And so that's a huge win mm -hmm. and that's something that they can see. And it's like, oh, wow, we don't have to do all that pain and misery that we've been doing for the last forever. And um, then from there, there seems to be the next thing is to do with... Um, automation of business processes so there might be 30 steps in onboarding or whatever then there may only be 10 crucial ones and then mapping that out and then going okay we can set up some rules and it's microsoft flow or UiPath or whatever they want to use to be able to automate some of that pain yeah. as well so then you're suddenly collecting data as data and i think those first two steps enable some of the what I'd call next is the data science phase. It's offline, so you're not even putting anything into production, but you're just sort of asking questions of the business that would affect sort of key outcomes mm -hmm. and key KPIs. And so business people are asking the questions and data scientists are answering the questions and doing reports and stuff like that. And so then you can take some of the results of that and then sort of test them out and see if they're going to work. And that strategy can then affect profitability and stuff in the mm. business. And then the final step is AI in production, machine learning in production. But um, that would come <coughs> later on down the track for most businesses because they're just not ready to make that jump, yeah. mostly. But there are sometimes some cases that are just so compelling that you yes. have to make that yes. jump. And so you have to be aware as well. I, I think I'm aware, like, talk to a company in Brisbane, um, I think a lending company in Brisbane. And, um, you know, one of the guys there was telling me that they had, because they were worried about ASIC scrutiny regulators and getting in trouble for irresponsible lending with good reason but they had like 160 people in two floors the building just looking at bank statements all day and classifying bank statements all day 
and I'm by like, hand. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I'm like, text-based classification. That's compelling, right? That's, so you have to make the jump for those sorts of cases. And even still, with the risk appetite that they had, they want, didn't want like a fully automated solution. They wanted like a faster sort yeah. of manual processing. So semi-automated with people still making decisions and stuff like that. So you can cut down their time of decisioning significantly and, yeah. and not reduce the risk. And what, is, what does that look like? Is it like exception reporting or is it suggestions to which ones to look at? What does that look like? Exactly. So suggestions. So mainly um, just like here's what the expenses, here's what the income is, here's what the different categories are, and here it is, and here's some things to look out for that we've seen. So different flags and different things that you can ask the customer in person calls. So being able to still have that conversation, be informed by data of that conversation before you go ahead and do it. So that's pretty good outcome for them. And again, with their risk appetite and where they were as a business, that was a pretty good solution. And that's, that was um, the consulting company in Brisbane that were getting me to come along and sort of help them do that. Yeah. So that's good. It's not like I got a percentage of the dollars they saved or anything like that. <laughs> and, that's, and that's always like the mirage in our space, I think, that so many companies want to chase I think like either one of two things. One is like I'll consult and then out of the problems that I see, I'll create a product and then I'll just sell this product and I'm going to make all this money. <laughs> or like I'm going to go into a company, save all this money, have this like profitability uplift and then I'll get a share of that. <laughs> I haven't seen anyone do either of them. How about you? No, no, what? I haven't. No. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if you would back, back yourself because sometimes, you know, if there's something that's janky in the data or whatever, it might be purpose that's the end of the, the thing so they have to go back and collect more data or something so but it may take a while for that to to come up and so there is um but it's funny it is kind of weird as well in this game because i don't know about you but i sometimes get people asking me to do really weird things like oh do you want to do like a proof of concept for three months for nothing or whatever and i'm like no like i don't want to work for free for you. what yeah can you guys come and fix my pants or something? <laughs> <laughs> and oh it's weird like or, or some people will send me like company data sets which is really bad yeah and say like uh, younger people or graduates on new data scientists and they'll say hey i'm having a problem with this like trying to fit this model can you help me out and i'm like man that's really bad <laughs> Be sending this to me, and so yeah, if anyone's got some wants to play around with some real data sets, I've got plenty. So, yeah, I mean, your time is precious as a consultant, and you're running your own business and stuff. And you, even if you're working, like you know, you can't be doing this stuff without getting paid for it, even if you love it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What advice would you give to people that want to live a similar life to what you're doing? It's all about those connections that you have. And I think it's really, it's been really hard. Like something I think might have the view that I'm, gl I'm glad that you said that actually, because yeah. I think it's the pipe dream of so many people that live in the city. I think so. Yeah. But sorry, sorry. Continue. No, no, no. It's, it's just that. Like, what I'm glad that it's like when I say what advice would, would you give? Do you want some more? Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, you start with it's really hard. It is hard, yeah. I, You're I'm being hoping, real. I appreciate yeah. that. You, you probably get the impression that I'm hanging out by the beach and just sort of chilling out and, and drinking rum, which is some days that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally the image that I have in my mind. <laughs> but um, yeah, often it's not. And that whole marketing and banging the drum, it's, it's a numbers game. And there's thousands that you'll be able to attract to your site or thousands of people and you have a really deliberate content strategy that you're executing to do that. And so um, part of it as well um, is just working really hard to develop business so that at three months or six months down the track, you'll be able to hopefully get something. And so there are some people that have been prospects of mine for like three and a half, four years that I've never got 
anything out of. Yeah. And I've had like every three months just checking in with them and stuff like that. And so it's it's kind of you going cap in hand to these companies going like, hey, to use me for anything? Yeah. And they're like, oh, not now, go away. And so it's really hard. Um, when you do get a good client and it's good as well, but then sometimes they're also looking at building a data science team as well. So they may only need you for six months and then they don't need you because they've got a head off or something. And so even if you do a good job, then you may not get more work. So, um, yeah, it's very hard and it's very uncertain. And um, you're always, even when you've got a contract, it, about two or three months out, you're thinking, okay, what's the next thing? Yes. So you're rolling from contract to contract. So I wouldn't recommend it. I'd say that um, it would be easier to get an individual contract, ideally work from home with a company. They're really hard to get. Or if you want to, if you were working for a company and you were working for a number of years and you're okay, I want a lifestyle change, then chances are that if you've been good, then maybe they might want to have you there. But um, yes, that's why I was talking earlier about maybe bouncing between like city and country because it would be a lot easier, I think, to have like a year locked in. And then be able to have like, and some of these contracts are quite lucrative. So yeah, you could um, live in the city for a year, six months, and then head back to your place for six months, and then just keep bouncing between those contracts. Especially true of federal government and state government contracts right yeah. now for data science, yeah. which are quite lucrative. Where they're saying like, you know, call me up saying, oh, we're paying market rates. I'm like, what's market rates? They're just like write down the number. And great, <laughs> who's the market? You're the market. Yeah. Oh, okay, <laughs> great. So, so that's yeah. that was before, and I was like, you know, oh, I don't really want that. I want to move and now I'm like in reality that's a lot smarter thing because the most profitable consulting companies got like one or two people in it as soon as you start you probably you'd know from experience as soon as you start getting more people you need to build pipeline you need to pay their salaries their stress and everything like that involved in that and so it's rough yes it would be yeah I would know it'd be incredibly rough but I haven't been in the position where I've had enough work to be able to pay someone else's salary like yeah. it's just too hard to do from 500 kilometers away from yes <laughs> yes so yeah I would say that it's been a few of the hardest years of my life and probably most stressful at times as Definitely. opposed to getting something like it. It does get better. The presence helps and it's got a, such a long incubation period that people actually don't realize. Like I remember when I had my business in the first three, at least three years, man, we're having to push so hard <clears throat> just to get like contracts and we got lucky with some contracts that helped, but two years in, I think, we had at the time, Foxster was our biggest client, which we got early on. And anyway, it was a recognized brand. So it helps, it helped us open other doors. And the way we were building the company was we could place, when we place one analytics consultant at a client site, it gave us the margin to hire one software developer to build our product. So we went tit for tat. And um, then I made a screw up and we lost Foxtel which was like the lion's yeah. share of our income wow. with like <clears throat> within two weeks. Oh, man. And it was just like, obviously, the hardest, the hardest hit. But what I was going to say is that you, which is like what you definitely what, you, what you're doing and what you've done, you stay consistent with your presence. It builds up and then people remember you when they need you for the stuff that they saw ages ago. Yeah. And even after I left, my company i had people like ringing me up going mm. hey can you guys do this for me i was like call my business partner like i'm not there anymore and obviously like i was out so i wasn't doing anything i reckon for three years people wow. were ringing me wow yeah i was working at ANZ, and they're like hey we just got this project can you guys help us out like it wasn't it wasn't like every month i was getting calls or anything like that but it would happen when i had my business i would have been so grateful <laughs> to get those calls yeah. you know yeah and so it does swell up it just takes way longer i think than what people expect it to yeah yeah i think so especially for something that's quite new like data science and even some of the biggest 
those places, um, big companies or, or big government departments, $300 million budgets, mm. just dipping their toe in the water. So you can't expect Box Credit Union down the road to be really doing much there in that Correct. space. Yeah. And, and some of the stuff that, that's out there as well. Sometimes like it's really good to hyper-niche if you're going to do some of this stuff yep. as well. And I'm not nowhere near niche enough, but if I was just doing, all I was doing was, I don't know, Power BI or DAX and Excel, oh, yeah. and that was like my specialty, then the work would find me more, I think, yes. having yes. that hyper-specialty so that people from everywhere go, oh, I've got that specific problem. I know that person solves that exact problem. But when you've got to do a bit of an education piece before the sale, that's when it becomes really hard as well. And within three seconds, you can see the eyes glazing over. <laughs> so it's, it's really hard. But that's whole roadmap, I think, of where people are at on their journey and what needs to be done to move them up. I think that's helped me. And do you that's lead that with the yeah, sometimes I'll do a printout and just say like, oh, please. but often they'll be like, oh no, we're at AI and, and I'm course, like, yeah. no, dudes, you're not. Like, yeah, yeah honestly, like I was just Excel, Excel, Excel. Like, yeah. Excel. <laughs> you're not, trust me. It's like, and so, yeah, it's almost kind of humbling to go like, no. And, but around where I live in, in Bundaberg, yeah. there are big companies. Right? I was going to ask. There are some really quite big places. Yeah. What does um, that look like? What's there? Besides um, rum, yeah, there's hospitals. Um, yeah. There are there's brew drinks. There's yeah. um, council, the yeah. big employer, four hundred plus people. There's a lot of um, disability type services uh-huh. there, and so um, but some of them are, have got you know four hundred staff and everything yeah. like that, and so they're really quite. They'll fly consultants in from Sydney to help them with. Okay, yeah, and so um, but I've never made a dollar anywhere. Okay, even though I've been. Up on the door for four months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it's like I think a lot of them have been burnt in the past by different IT projects. Local from, ones from yeah, oh, from people coming from Brisbane and other places and oh, going, yeah. "Hey, we'll give you Cognos for one and a half million dollars, and yeah. now you can't use it next year, and cool. now you've got to scrap it and start again." So there's this distrust about that, especially local people. And so I don't came to the realization that I wasn't going to make money locally mm-hmm. if even some of the bigger places in Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne are sort of just starting this as well and just starting to get an idea of what's possible so i really don't look much locally interesting uh, i maybe i'm missing opportunities but i'd eat my hat if that was wrong okay yeah <laughs> and are there maybe a crazy idea like rare at least at a minimum rare are there many small businesses around i assume yes like it's yeah. could you okay so the rare part that's what I'm thinking. Stick with me. Small local business with an old owner that has had it for 20, 30 years, looking to retire, maybe accounting or something like that. Yeah, maybe a few of those. Something where it has some recurring cash flow and that then there would be significant benefit from introducing maybe not only data science but more a modernization of the company and that already has clients so you could do the transformation and then the reason why i was saying that maybe an older owner because then you could do like a vendor finance deal where they like you take ownership you get a stake and then you buy them out over time with the cash flow of the company where they they do nothing (laughs) keep getting a salary or like they might work with you for a year do like a long ass handover where they're decreasing in time and then they might do a a day a week for another year and then they retire you keep them paying them their salary but then the uplift that you've created over say those two years and then you end up with this company that was an accounting firm you modernize it you get sort of a foundation and then you can go and do provide more services to say the network of client that it has or you know something yeah, like that yeah definitely i think there's a lot that you could do with um accounting with just like even simple reporting for 
people yeah. like and stuff like that. They don't, most people, most business owners wouldn't have any of that stuff. And so there are there is actually a um, organization in Brisbane, and that's pretty much what what he does. Like he he creates his own like APIs and stuff to yeah. hook into different accounting software, and he does yeah. a whole heap of um, reporting and stuff for them. And that's a pretty good. Model. He doesn't charge anywhere near as much as what. I think he should charge for that. He's yeah. doing it because he loves it, and his right. wife is like a top neurosurgeon or something. So it doesn't even he doesn't even need money. So he's yeah. just doing like a hobby. And I'm yeah. like, man, you know, you could stick another zero. Yeah. In it. <laughs> he's just, oh no, I like it. I'm like, make money. He's like, yeah. oh, I don't need to. <laughs> so, so I think they're they're really good. he's he's doing pretty well, and so there there could be someone like that yeah. there as well. I'm just thinking as well. A lot of the money is um, a lot of the appetite for trying new technologies in agriculture. That's, ah, that's huge. Yeah, that's huge. Where where I am as well because. But I, I mean, I'm mostly sort of business and finance. That's sort yes. of my background. But what's, what's, what's growing up there? So um, macadamias, uh, sugarcane, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, they're doing there. But um, what and sweet potato, whole heap of stuff. It's kind of Australia's like food bowl. Food bowl. Yeah, it's a, there's a lot. And so what's is really interesting there is that they have to be innovative to survive. Yeah. yeah. Because if you're a farmer, you're fighting against the bank, you're fighting against the weather. And it's drought there. Like I have kangaroos all over my house because they're trying to eat some grass and water in buckets and stuff. It's yeah. really hard. And so they have to be innovative just to make a call. Make it another day. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're more open to that sort of stuff. I think. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I think there's potential certainly in agriculture and some of the stuff like they're putting sensors on avocados and stuff yeah. to measure them. And so there's, they're collecting a lot of Data. Whether they know what to do with that data or not is another question. But that's probably that would actually be a really good niche business for someone to go and just specialise in ag and data science. And I'm glad that you we're having this conversation because I'm like, oh man, I shouldn't be too close to the project. <laughs> no, but like this is yeah. Anyway, that's conversations help, man. Yeah, <laughs> let me know because that sounds that's an awesome. And it's definitely, man. It's so it's so rough for farmers. I actually had no idea. Like, oh yeah, because you're yeah. So my wife's parents they are cattle farmers and for beef. And they're in a mass in country New South Wales, massive drought at the moment. So much so that the their dam, which is they build in, in their property or dams plural, have dried up. Yeah. And then the cows were going in there, and then they get stuck in the mud, mm-hmm. and then they like starve. At the moment, my father-in-law is the cheap paying about twenty-eight thousand dollars a month of hay to feed his cows yeah. just to keep him alive. Yeah. And obviously, at the worse the drought gets, the more expensive this is. And I'm like, how the fuck do you do this? Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? And you know, you can play. Like, complain about oh i don't have enough work you know i've got to catch a train to brisbane occasionally and it's like you know just some people have got it pretty rough and, and the farmers in particular i reckon it's one of the hardest jobs you could possibly do and and heartbreaking at the same time really heartbreaking mm-hmm. yeah really heartbreaking yeah and my brother-in-law is also in, in cattle farming and his farm is is owned by a new zealand superannuation company and they're bringing in a lot of iot yeah. so this is like an example where they're starting to collect a lot of data so they have rfid tags on the cow's ears and they have sensors around the paddock and and when they give them their shots and uh, things like that so they know when they've done the rounds yeah they don't know how to do it so yeah i hadn't thought about it but yeah i think you're right agriculture is yeah, with with the IoT and stuff. Yeah, and then there's other challenges as well with um, collectivity in some of those uh, some of those places as well, and then caching data and whatever else and being and you know applications with drones as well in terms of agriculture as well. There's other ones as well. Like I did, uh, there was a contract over in, in Perth that I was um, pipped to the post by someone big like KPMG or because uh, it's dodgy Nick in Bundaberg versus someone with the name. But um, what that was doing is um, plant matter and crushing it up in the lab and trying to um, really expensive 
type and trimming process to work out the proteins and stuff in yeah. there. So to be able to increase yields. And what they wanted to do was to do a spectral analysis of the of the plants to be able to predict what it was going to look like in the end and see if they could influence that. Yeah. Um, which, but then there was a whole heap of data type errors with the sensors and, and you know maybe the temperature or maybe something's on a hill and there's all these sort of confounding factors that are, that are in it. So it was mainly just a massive exercise of exploratory data analysis to be able to work out the data you could trust to then be able to build some models. But yeah, that was um, remote plus some Perth, which would have been yeah. ideal. Um, yeah, but correct. again, yeah, they went with someone good. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so. yeah, no, I remember, yeah. When I had my business, we were also like constantly fighting against established consulting companies. And I think that's the other um, thing that I'd say to people as well is um, you can't really go for the really big banks or really big insurance company clients because they'll really have their preferred suppliers. You're yeah. never, never going to crack it there. But if you step down to like a small credit union or someone that's um, just that little bit smaller, you've got more of a chance. And, and especially if they're um, you know just starting out and they've got like 80 or 100 staff or whatever, then you've got a pretty decent chance of going in there. And so it's a win-win because what they pay you would be a lot less than what they pay like a big consulting firm. Yeah. And so it's still a good income for you. And so it's everyone wins as well. Yeah. And so they're the ones to try for. That's um, good. And have you seen many companies in Australia do remote work? Uh, no, unless you're a JavaScript or a C-sharp developer, then you can probably get some work there. But with data science, it's extremely rare. Yeah, extremely rare. And so I find it really hard to understand because um, times offices can be probably the least productive places yes. <laughs> for doing work. So I've found that um, it's pretty easy for me to get four to five hours of solid hands-on keyboard code when I'm working from home wow. and, and as well as emails and, and speaking to people and whatever else. So that's huge productivity in a day. I so, reckon like double at least. Oh, yeah. Double productivity than in an office. Yeah. So I can't quite understand why. The only the only reason, the only argument I, I think is that people, it's a trust issue, I think, with employees. Okay. But then I'd argue, like, why hire them in the first place if yeah. you don't trust them to work <laughs> from home anyway? And also I think helps the um, learning as well. If you've got, like, Google open or you, you're looking at um, YouTube, working out how to do it, and you feel less self-conscious about doing that because otherwise people are going to be like, hey, that guy doesn't even know how to do his job. That's right, yeah. And, and I'm right, I don't know how to do it. So I Google, I Google and I'm learning every day. And so, um, yeah, you feel better able to solve problems. And if yes. you're being measured on output rather than time spent at desk, mm. I think it's a good way to do it. And also you have the long uninterrupted blocks of time to go deep into problem solving mode. And you don't get somebody tapping you on the shoulder going, hey, what's two plus two? And That's you're right. like, oh, you I'm, like <laughs> I'm two hours into this <laughs> Yeah, you just... I think it works around the family as well. So that's the huge benefit that I've yeah. had to doing my consulting business is fitting around my girls' yeah. schedule, uh, being able to take them to their dancing or singing or taekwondo or whatever the hell it is that they're doing and, and sitting there and watching them and stuff. And so I'm always part of what they're doing. I can't put a price on that. Like that's and, and some of the memories of paddling out surfing together with yeah. them for the first time, that's deathbed type memory stuff. That's like right. It really is. Yeah. Like I, you know, my whole life, still, you know, the thing I'm most proud of is my two girls. You know? yeah. and, and so it does allow you to work everything around your family. And so like, I don't care if people think that I'm crap at my job. I don't care if people think that I'm a weirdo or whatever. But I really want my girls to think, oh, yeah, dad, dad's a good, good fella. Dad's a good guy. Yeah. He was, he was always around. He always looked after us. That's the most critical thing to me. And I think work from home next that to happen. That is awesome. One of my mates in New Zealand, he's a Kiwi, and he moved to a small town in New Zealand to have more flexibility and be more with his kids. And he sort of flies into one of the main cities to work. I think it's like two days a fortnight or something like that. Like pretty good. I was asking him like, why this is before I had kids? I was like, why did you choose that? And 
at the time I was like very career focused, career oh, yeah. driven, right? His answer, which I loved, he said, um, your kids spell love, T-I-M-E. Like that just stuck with me so much yeah. that I was like, ah, like, I get it. Like it's such a, a great way. Do you agree? Yeah. And like my dad was a, a solicitor. He was like a country solicitor. But he, um, sometimes that we'd go surfing before work or whatever with him. So he'd shake us up awake at five o'clock in the morning or whatever. And so, <laughs> and you know, oh, what? where's my, where's my teddy? It's <laughs> 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 like, here's your board. Let's go. Yeah. But he was always there for basketball and, and stuff like that. And oh, so wow. he was always put us first, even and in the eighties and stuff. That, yeah. wasn't, that wasn't cool. At and all. So, and at all. And like so, my dad was the opposite. It. Yeah, like the lad was always in the office by like six thirty in the morning, and then he'd come home about nine p.m. and like at least five days. Like yeah. he'd usually do like what he would call a half day, which might be like eight or ten hours <laughs> um, on the weekend. Ever since I can remember, that's hard. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I thought you were gonna say something like that. No, no your dad was no, there. That's cool. When I was like 12, 13, like I started playing basketball for his team and stuff. And so, um, like I, I played 20 years on the same team as him playing basketball. And, uh, you know, he still goes surfing and stuff. He's 65. Like he's, um, he played in the Australian Masters in basketball and he's like, he's just this cool guy. And so he's, he's still my best mate. He's still my best friend. And so we speak to him, you know, every, every second day kind of thing. But, um, that's his upbringing was total opposite. Like he, yeah. he didn't come from a very happy home at all. Yeah. And so, you know, he's just did the opposite for us and so it took me a while to realize and he also had a chat to me about it and so it i think it was um really good we had really good memories of kids who you know and we did lots of you know he didn't make anywhere near as much money as he could have but we did um surfing trips up, up and down the coast and, and we were staying in tents and he saved money by not feeding us lunch and stuff yeah. like that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, my man yeah. <laughs> but uh, good memories yeah. good, good memories 100 yeah and he's a great granddad as well he's, he's really good with the girls too they certainly respect him a lot more <laughs> <laughs> where's he based uh so he's um on the central coast which is about 100 kilometers north of yeah. um or north of sydney terrible beach which, oh. which is where i grew up okay um, yeah 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 wow it's amazing yeah it's a good place and so he's been there a while and so now of all things my brother has taken over his business okay and uh like tripled it and so now he works for my brother <laughs> yeah. wow so yeah it's a what's the business uh so my brother's a, a like, solicitor as well oh yeah so yeah makes sense yeah let's change tag to uh a couple of questions what are you most proud of that you've done in your career I would say the time with my friends, um, CTO and, uh, and the risk model and stuff we developed under pressure was probably the biggest thing that I did. And I'm still in contact with those guys all the time. Like, you know, but some of that stuff, it's formed friendships forever. And yeah. so, um, even just recently recommended me for like the latest contract that I've got to the guys and stuff. And so we still look out for each other. And so it's not so much the projects, but it's the people, really solid people. And do you think that that pressure forms the relationships? I think so. At times, like that was a really pretty dark time, but the way that they handled it, the way that everyone did their job was just awesome. Like I've never seen anything like it. And for me as well, spending time with the dev team as well really pushed me, my skills as well, massively. And so I've got a lot to be thankful for those guys. And yeah, he in particular, um, is my, my friend Scott, he's always taken me under his wing, really has. And so he's really good friendship from it. And he's just a 
top dude. And so, you know, he's the kind of guy that could easily like lead a team of 300 or 400 people, like that kind of thing as a CTO. He's just a weapon. And he'd never seen like R or before. And I was prototyping and he's like insanely curious. He's like, what's that? Send me that code. I want to see that. And, oh, it's functional programming. Oh, he's, and he was just doing it. Like he was doing it within minutes. Like he, was just, <laughs> he was a freaking weapon. Yeah. Like he's just amazing. And then I'm like, oh, I'm doing this thing in Python. Oh, cool. Send that to me. I'm curious about it. Amazing dude. Wow. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. That's crazy. What do you think is the biggest challenge that we have in our space in data science? There's two that come to mind straight away. The first one I see is around deployments of machine learning models into production environment. Mm -hmm. At the moment, a lot of the places I see, they have like an ad hoc way of doing it. And so sometimes they have success, sometimes they have failures. And so um, I would recommend everyone look at the Microsoft team data science process, which is available. Like Microsoft, they've got template folder structures, they've got template code, and they've got even like checklists, things you've got to do, roles and responsibilities. I think that's about the best way for a large organization to reliably and consistency consistently execute data science projects from idea all the way through to creating the data pipelines that you're going to have to be able to deploy models really? before it's done and yeah business understanding data checking codes do that the whole thing what's um, it called again um, the microsoft team data science process or microsoft data science team process or something okay like yeah that. but I, I think that's about and version control as well or within yeah. visual studio as an IDE, so you got you can hook into databases, you've got your version control there and everything like that. And so it's you could almost do consulting, just going around the places and just doing that. Oh, like that. <laughs> yeah. And then what does production look like in that case? So it depends on the different solutions. So it's not like um, prescriptive. It, it allows not just a sequence, but allows interplay between different steps yep. and yep. process, depending on what needs to be done. Production could mean a web app. It could even mean offline, like just a Jupyter notebook, or it could be for some things that don't require production yep. or insights, but it could be whatever needs to be done. Or it could be SQL Server has got our integration as well, so you can deploy models through there, whatever it is. But um, then it's not really prescriptive. They are sort of pushing their Azure services and Azure ML and that sort of thing. But um, they've got examples with Postgres and all sorts of stuff. I think that's probably the best thing to do for an end-to-end process. Nice. We'll Um, link it in the show notes. Cool. Yeah, thanks. And I think um, the other thing that I see is around the deployment of um, machine learning models, that sometimes you have this almost tension between developers and data scientists yes. where like a data scientist will, will build a model and then they'll have it like on their laptop and then yeah. they'll tap a developer on the shoulder and say, hey, can you put that in production? The developer goes, oh, I'm not touching that crap. Because yeah. like either one of two things needs to happen. Like the data scientist needs to learn dev skills to be able to almost become a data engineer to throw it in production or the um, developer needs to go, I need to know some more about math statistics or whatever and try to work out what the hell it is person's doing and they'll look at a data scientist code and go this is sloppy crap and i don't want to touch it and so there's this tension there and that's why sometimes in different places a lot of models don't make their way into production yes which is why with team data science process if you've got the pipeline set up initially before you even when you get the data and even you run like a heuristic through or whatever just to make sure it works then you can sort of eliminate some of that mm. i think so they're the, the two things that i'm seeing at the moment that um solvable problems that a lot of people aren't really doing at the moment and it's causing a lot of pain right now. A lot of pain. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. That's really, really good. Where do you see data science going in the future? What is, what is going to happen with, in, with data science or within data science? Yeah, I see. Like at the moment, what's happening, I think, is looks like a lot of places are dipping their toe in the water. So they're interested in automation and reporting, dashboards and stuff like that. And it's almost like 
I reckon there's probably three years of that or three to five years of that. And then there's going to be more in the way, I think, of machine learning in production. And so I think we're going to enter that phase next. And so in terms of contracts, there's still contracts around for the really simple stuff. But I think as organizations become more mature, it's going to head that way. So as data science and system developers sort of do this converge, some of the skills are going to be crossing and overlapping. And we're actually going to be writing less machine learning code. Like you won't be doing what you're doing with like writing neural networks and stuff from scratch, which would be like painful as hell. But I think we're going to be plugging into different um, services to be able to like do OCR for a PDF or something to extract information and pass the, the data over here to cognitive services, have some output here. So it's that glue of the different stuff, that dev skills and that glue that yeah. I think for the future we're going to need. And, yes. and I see that as that scripting and that um, those skills is kind of missing for a lot of people. That's and right. something that we, we, I think, as an, an industry really need to upskill our people to be able to be confident to almost turn them into pseudo-developers. Yeah. So with the rise of like AI as a service, <clears throat> yeah. so then you'd be tapping it into it. Yeah, because if you can grab something off the shelf, you can, like, why not run? Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to get it out there. Like, I've got no ego with that stuff. It's the difference between days and months uh, in terms of getting something in production. And so certainly for a new team or a first-card model, uh, something like that, uh, yeah. you really just want to see it in there. And the quickest, easiest way to do that would be probably leveraging something else is done or build a really simple regression or something. Yeah, nice. You're presenting at Data Science Melbourne Meetup tonight. What are you talking about? Oh, we've covered most of it, man. <laughs> you don't even need to go. Good. That's all right. That's not your questions. I'm like, geez, these seem like presentations. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sending me the slides. That's all right. Yeah, you don't need to, need to go. I'll just see you at the bar afterwards. <laughs> Deal. Yeah, it's similar to that. Like it is. Uh, well, I mean, the five points, just how I got started in data science. That's yeah. one we covered. The second point, I think it was more about um, leveraging social media to build a brand, which we covered. <laughs> Like very lightly we covered. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. the next one is um, I think about yeah, I did have some about like how you can make money what as data science consultants, where we are right now in data science and where we're gonna be in the future. So we've covered most of this. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant. Yeah. So okay, that's great. That's that's I'm really just going to record this and just I'm just gonna press play and walk out. I'm just gonna drop my accent. <laughs> and then we we go to the bar. What advice would you have for data scientists? I think it would be around that um, learning thing. Like I think really learning is the key and to see yourself as a full-time learner. And I think as well, like when you're learning, there's just some fundamental things, some fundamental concepts that sometimes you miss and you bang your head against a wall and you keep trying and trying and trying. Don't keep trying. Just YouTube, Google search, whatever, because once those concepts click in place, it's easier. It's much easier. And it's like, you know, you can do this. Like you come from people who survived the Ice Age by beating woolly mountains to death with a rock. Like you can learn this stuff. <laughs> you can do it. Like, you know, it's not, and there's nothing particularly special about me. I'm essentially uncredentialed. I can, if I can build a career out of this, anyone can. That's amazing. It's <laughs> amazing, right? But um, yeah, I mean, what, what would you, what would be your thoughts on, on people starting out? What, what sort of helps you? You reckon? Like, obviously, doing like a yeah, machine learning and and having a real project. I think probably is a- yeah, like seeing the applications. I think in my case, what has helped me is this. Is going to sound so cliche, actually. Business understanding and the people skills. On the people skills, what I find really still to this day, I find it really difficult to pass this on to my teams is the empathy and to for them to see things from the eyes of a beginner. So for the overwhelming majority of people, data is scary. Yeah. Maths is hard. You show them a number and they have flashbacks of, you know, being told that they're shit at maths from second grade. And 
I see a lot of data scientists wanting to do the technical work, doing great technical work. The piece of how the work comes in, they would ideally like a form that people fill in with what they would like to see. And then at the end, they throw the analysis, the reports, the predictive model, the insights over the fence and kind of like you take, you as a person who's receiving this, you take your business decisions however way you want out of these recommendations or you take these predictions however way you want. So like what I'm doing with the teams now is actually having this concept of hand-holding from start to end yeah so like you're there right at the beginning and the, the ideation phase you're there when they're trying to interpret your outputs to make different decisions in their role and they're like well it means that we can do less stuff and we need to understand the business i was like yes 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 to all the things <laughs> all the objections yes <laughs> like yes we're going to be doing yeah less work we're going to be moving slower less productive yes 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 and we're going to be there for them the whole way. And I was like, to them, I was like, you're going to understand how scary this stuff can be. And then it hopefully, like, they're going to get a lot of satisfaction from them being able to turn somebody that is petrified by it to being excited by it. I think that's, that's awesome. Anyway, I think, I think it's a, it's a key one. And um, so many projects almost get there and then just stop just before the finish line. Yeah. And that, that kind of produces that risk as well. Sorry, what do you mean? Well, like they kind of get there and then, oh no, the business moves to something else or they don't quite get across the line. So many, I think, projects where, where you don't have that, you don't have the business involved in the whole process. They just kind of always get there. <laughs> they just don't get that final push to, to that buy. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and so many of them are, it must be like 80%, whatever a project's never seen a long day, or they just go, it's cool. must be something big like that. I've got no idea what Huge. But yeah, we have seen it time and time again. Last last question. I did ask you about the advice for, for people. So I'll, I'll ask you, what advice would you have for a younger Nick Ryan? So for you, say, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, wherever you want to place it, yeah. what, what would you say to yourself? I'd say just drop the actuarial studies because like, I knew it wasn't yeah. my passion from about the first term of university. I knew I wasn't going to be an actuary. And so that was a real fight to get through. Yeah. And so um, someone older said, look, why don't you do computer science and statistics? Yeah. That's probably a really good combination for you. You're not enjoying this, but maybe computer science and stats would be good. I wish I'd listened to that. Because I think I'll probably have got to the same place. Yeah. But I think I would have got there a lot faster. Yes. I think for people who are younger, if they do have something like, I mean, there are data science courses undergraduate and stuff like that now, but that combination of computer science with statistics is a killer combo. Yeah, I kind of wish that I'd have done that much earlier. But what I love about that is that like, I love these two pillars that I think have come out so strongly in the in our conversation. Tell me if you agree or if I'm just crazy. <laughs> um, so one of them is be true to yourself and do what pulls you in. Yeah. And so it sounds like you were fighting that and saying, like, I should do this, but you're getting more more a natural pull from somewhere else. Yeah. So yeah. like, listen to yourself and follow that. And the other one is redefine success yeah. as happiness yeah whatever that looks like for and it's different for everyone but yeah i think so that blend you can't be like one-dimensional on your work or you can't be just kind of sitting at home and, and playing video games or whatever i couldn't be going to the gym and then doing steroids and stuff so like you know it's it's kind of like just being having those different facets to your life to make you a, a real round sort of person and, and having time like in business for all the stakeholders in your life whether that's family friends and mates down the road or whatever. And so, yeah, I think that's really important. I think I realized that a bit too late. And so hopefully people, yeah, just kind of get some of that balance right before you sort of look back and go, oh, man. I'm lucky as well that my kids are still pretty young and I work that out. But I think it could have been a lot worse. Like had I gone down that same road. 
And so that's not to say that you can't get that when you're working for a company, because my dad certainly had it in the 80s. But having that goal of trying to do as much as you can, but still leave a bit for your family, I think it's really important. That's awesome, man. Oh, that's an so. awesome, man. The note to end on. Thanks so much for sharing all that and for being real. And man, I'm, I love what you're doing. Oh, like, I appreciate huge it. Huge fan of your work. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks, for that. thanks so much for doing the interview, no, man. That's been good. Cheers. <laughs> I wanted to tell you about the RMIT Online Masters of Data Science Strategy and Leadership. I was one of the industry advisors for this program. It's an online master's program and it covers both data science strategy and leadership and it has also a technical component. Highly, highly recommend it for people wanting to get ahead. With the program, you can gain this advanced strategic leadership and data science capabilities required to influence executive leadership teams and deliver organization-wide solutions. For more information, visit online.rmit.edu. I wanted to tell you about We Are Rubik's, one of Australia's leading pure data consulting companies delivering project outcomes for some of the world's leading brands, growing rapidly and with offices in Melbourne, Sydney and the US. Rubik's are as serious about analytics as they are about their pinball. True story, they have like 10 pinball machines in their Melbourne head office. If you're interested in joining a passionate and vibrant team who make work fun, head to wearerubix.com and get in touch today. That's wearerubix, all one word, wearerubix.com and get in touch today. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.